0: Hello, I'm Rhonda Nowak for the Mail Tribune and Rosebud Media. This is The Literary Gardener for January 7th, 2021. The topic this time is why gardeners should protect local wilderness. This is the true tragedy of our time, the spiraling decline of our planet's biodiversity. David Attenborough, A Life on Our Planet, 2020. It's difficult to look past present-day commotions to think about the impact of quietly disappearing wildlife, but that is exactly what Attenborough implores us to do in his book and documentary film, A Life on Our Planet. They are his witness statement about the rampant disappearance of wilderness areas during his lifetime and the endangerment of many animal and plant species that depend on wilderness habitats for their survival. Attenborough tells us that the Earth's immense diversity of plant and animal life helped to stabilize global temperatures during the last 11,000 years, a period in the planet's history called the Holocene. Attenborough writes, The Holocene was our Garden of Eden. Its rhythm of seasons was so reliable that it gave the human species the opportunities we needed, and we took advantage of them. A stable environment allowed humans to change from a nomadic hunter-gatherer lifestyle to a settled agricultural lifestyle. Up until the last 50 years, it was easy to forget that our farm crops and our gardens and home landscapes are all possible only because of the conducive environmental conditions we've come to expect. Many of our gardening frustrations are the results of less than favorable environmental conditions. Then in December 1968, the Apollo 8 crew transmitted the world's first picture of the Earth viewed from space. As Attenborough recalls in his book, the image vividly revealed perhaps the most important truth of our times, that our planet is small, isolated, and vulnerable. Since then, ecological scientists have helped us gain a better understanding of the essential interconnections among all living things on Earth. Yet, Attenborough explains that gobbling up the world's natural resources continues in part because people have increasingly detached from the natural environment that surrounds us. We believe conserving nature is important in the Amazon rainforest and on the African savannas, but often we aren't aware of the need to protect and advocate for our local wilderness habitats and native plant and animal species. My neighborhood in Old East Medford still has remnants of the oak savanna that once dominated the landscape between the Klamath-Siskiyou Mountain Range to the east and Bear Creek to the west. The native forbs and grasses that once grew here sustained elk, black-tailed deer, and a host of other native mammals, birds, reptiles, amphibians, and insects. The other day, Jerry and I saw a young black-tailed buck running down our street. We've only seen deer in our suburban neighborhood a few times in the past 10 years, but the buck's ancestors once roamed through here in large herds. The buck, or perhaps its mother, probably found his way through the neighborhoods bordering the nearest wilderness area, Prescott Park, which consists of 1,740 acres within the Klamasiskau Forest. The park supports more than 1,800 species of plants and animals in three different habitats, forbs and grassland at lower elevations, oaks and shrubland, and coniferous forests on Ann Peak. Each of these ecosystems supports its own communities of interconnected plant and animal species. However, this important local wilderness is shrinking as the population of the city of Medford grows. It's estimated that Medford will add another 38,677 people in the next 20 years, reaching a population of more than 118,000 by 2040. To address projected growth, the city expanded its urban growth boundaries a few years ago to include acreage within Prescott Park for residential and business development. If our goal is to increase biodiversity in our yard, then a good place to begin is by protecting biodiversity in surrounding wilderness areas and mimicking those native habitats in our garden and landscape. To learn more, keep listening as I discuss biodiversity with OSU Land Steward Coordinator Rachel Worling. Thanks for listening, and happy gardening. So,
1: Rachel, I've been reading David Attenborough's book, A Life on Our Planet. He calls it his witness statement about the rampant disappearance of wilderness areas and wildlife during his lifetime. He writes, this is the true tragedy of our time, the spiraling decline of our planet's biodiversity. Do you agree with his statement?
2: You know, I couldn't agree, agree, agree more. <laughs> um, he I watched David Attenborough's program on netflix which is uh kind of taken i think from his book and it yeah it was a very moving piece there are other research pieces that kind of back up what he's talking about but i'm in complete agreement
1: now he talked about biodiversity globally so i guess what i'd like to do is to talk with you about what it means to increase biodiversity right here locally in the rogue valley
2: You know, I think we're really lucky in the Rogue Valley. I think that everybody who lives here is really aware of the wonderful wild beauty that we have all around, and we can look from where we live and see the wild mountains and the wild forests. But um, when I'm talking with people, a lot of times, uh, especially when I'm educating people about taking care of their land, I encourage them to kind of zoom out, maybe to look on Google Earth and zoom out and look, from above and see that when you're looking out towards the mountains, if you're looking across the Bear Creek Valley, you're actually looking at all kinds of developed landscapes. Um, We tend to uh, put our agriculture and our dwellings in the valley bottoms, and here in the Rogue Valley, that means that we are uh, really impacting our, our oak habitats, which are critical for biodiversity, our native grasslands um we're very fortunate in our area to still have quite a bit of that left but if you go north into the willamette valley they have less than 10 percent of their oak habitats left for example or their wild their grasslands and there are lots of species that are impacted by that so what i am always encouraging people um landowners to do is to not think oh we have a lot it doesn't matter i just i just bought this piece of property in the country because i want to live in the country but this tree is blocking my view or this grass I don't, I'm not so attached to, but if they could think about it in the larger picture that every piece that they can preserve or enhance by either keeping or putting more natives in is actually really critical. We're fortunate to still have some here, but it won't stay that way if we keep developing the way we have been.
1: Well, what particular wilderness areas um, right here uh, close by do you think need our protection?
2: Oh my gosh.
1: I think there are a couple that I think are
2: really important. Um, one of them is uh, vernal pool habitats, which you can find up, especially around in the Agate Desert area, around in Central Point. Um, a lot of people who live in the area don't aren't even aware of what vernal pools are. There they are uh, regions that occur because of the underlying geology. This kind of swale and hillock um, kind of habitat they're full of water in the spring and they have particularly endemic species but in our area our vernal pools are right smack dab in industrial areas in areas that um, have been grazed over that's one that's really important if if, um, in my experience landowners are often look at those areas they might have some of these vernal pools and they'll think in areas that doesn't drain very well it's kind of mucky and wet in the spring and I want to try and change it and they don't even realize the value that they have that's one vernal pools I think are really important Mm -hmm. and another um piece that I would like to highlight is uh a piece that's been in the news different times called the Imperatrice property it belongs to the city of Ashland and it's a it's a grassland property that's on the north side of I-5 um and it has Now, I'm forgetting if they are savannah sparrows, I think, that are there. They have a population of savannah sparrows. It has so many wonderful spring flowers. Right now, we can't even necessarily access it in the public, but the city has wanted to put up um, solar panels up there, which I think solar panels are a great idea, but this is a really special habitat that I think should be preserved for education. It's got um, a plant species that's only... In all of Oregon, it's only found... It was rediscovered on that property recently, plus this uh, special bird habitat. What's the plant? Um, The plant is a little... It's a little erodium. So we've got the the crane bill. Then we're protecting these individual... Species or um, where they can either live or where they might live in the future. So I think that that's really more important than, you know, it's it's really cool if you end up having like get nurse fritillary or um, like this little erodium that we're talking about, some of these, you know, the woolly meadow foams that are around the table rocks areas That's neat if you have those on your property, but really more important is protecting that habitat because that's what holds the biodiversity. We have to. Keep the habitat together.
1: Well, so what do you see as some of the biggest challenges in um, supporting and um, making and maintaining our the biodiversity that we have?
2: Well, I think um, you know I, I feel like the public's awareness is coming up about this. I know I saw on your book list that you're reading Doug Tallamy. Yes, and he, uh, I'm running into more and more people who have run into his um, his kind of perspective. And I think, you know, our our urban areas actually can provide a habitat for people. So you know, more and more, I think, eighty percent of Americans now live in urban areas. So that's a place where you can actually have a personal impact on habitat. Like I, I live in town, and um, you know, I I notice. You know, the kind of the towards letting your garden be messy in the winter, not pruning until later. And when I look out and I see the things that I haven't done yet, like the rakes that I haven't, the leaves that I haven't raked or the branches that I haven't pruned. And I'm seeing the spotted towhee jumping around in those leaves and I'm seeing birds landing on those branches that I haven't pruned. That's habitat. That is habitat for things. So I think that if we can encourage people to view native plants as as something beautiful. That's another thing that I run into where people will say, oh, but native plants are kind of ugly. They're not as showy. So, um, you know, I'd rather have this kind of horticultural species that's much more uh, pretty to look at. But really all those native plants really support the insect life that can support the birds and the other wildlife. So, you know, kind of tolerating messiness, which is habitat for wildlife, and also developing a love and, for the nuance of native species
1: absolutely you know you're talking about how you know even if you have a small yard or even if you live in the city that you can contribute to biodiversity by um uh, uh, incorporating um or even understanding the native habitats that are surrounding us yeah definitely you
2: well, know I think, how- I, I think another thing that's really important is is recognizing how habitat is connected, how your small piece of property might be an important stopover place, or, you know, lots of folks in the Rogue Valley live in in what we call the wildland-urban interface, so it might be kind of your rural, maybe they have a half an acre, maybe they have five acres. People often have this urge to, for example, put up deer fence. Now, if you're in town, that's one thing, but if you're out in the country, our deer are actually migratory. They're seasonally migratory. They migrate up and down in elevations and the more people that fence their property, you know, the less those animals can move through.
1: That's an excellent point. Is that something that the um, OSU's land steward program helps um, local landowners to become more aware of?
2: Yeah, definitely, definitely. We talk with them about wildlife what's called wildlife friendly fencing so if you if you need to have fencing there are different designs that you can use that make it so that wildlife can move through as it needs to um or or even better if you don't need to fence you know lots of rural folks want to fence it like just fence what you need to you know fence your garden or your horticultural plants but you don't need to fence your whole property kind of thinking of yourself as as one of many residents in the landscape rather than, right. this is my property and I'm going to really put my stamp on it.
1: Right, and and it's isolated. You know, when it's really not, it's connected to, uh, you know, the rest of the, the habitat surrounding, you know, your property.
2: Right, exactly.
1: Exactly. Well, can, can you tell us a little bit more about um, the Land Steward Program and how it works with um, local landowners? Yeah, the Land Steward Program is, um, it's, Uh, we have a a few different
2: versions of it it's multiple weeks long so it covers kind of all the the major general topics that you would have if you have rural land So, um, so we have between 9 and 11 weeks modules people learn about making a plan for their land and then they look at each of the different topics of kind of rural land ownership or the different categories of land so for example there's a week where we talk about streams, there's a week where we talk about forests, there's fire preparedness, there's pastures and soil health. So we cover all these different topics and then folks have an opportunity to um, take a checklist out and kind of assess how those different topics are doing on their land and make plans for what they could maybe do, what they need to either learn more about or what they might like to do to improve the conditions on their property.
1: Wow, that sounds very important. So where can people learn more about the Land Steward Program?
2: So if you just Google Oregon State University Land Steward Program, you'll find our website and you'll see what our offerings are. So right uh, um, in February, we're going to be starting an online training, thanks to the pandemic and that. (laughs) And then hopefully, hopefully in September of 2021, we'll be able to offer our field I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that we'll be able to do that. We also offer, um, every month we offer one or two different um, evening classes, which have been going in the pandemic. They've been offered through Zoom, so that's a wide variety. You know, we get our ideas from our community. So we've had things, um, recently this year we had a program about um, living with cougars, for example, living in cougar country and how, how to do that. Um, we have a program coming up with our uh Jackson Watermaster talking about kind of what's, what we're looking at in the future in terms of water conditions and water conservation and what people can do. Um, so if you, if you get on, if you go to our website, Google that, get on our website, you can actually join our email list and then hear about our classes. That's all we send out. We don't spam in any other way.
1: Okay. Well, thanks, Rachel. This is all very good, important information.